Just in and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. People my age who have kids are going to have grandkids, and the grandkids are going to say, you mean you let humans drive cars? You let people drive cars? What, were you crazy? Were there re- Yes, there were wrecks every day. Wasn't it inefficient? Oh, it was so inefficient. Well, how many people were in most cars? One? You had that huge car with one person in it? Yeah. Wow, that's weird. I saw that in a movie. I thought it wasn't real. No, that was how we used to... No, everything will change. That's Bill Nye. In the five years it was on the air, his television show Bill Nye the Science Guy won 18 Emmys and entertained and educated millions of people. A lot of them young people, but really people of all ages. All his life, Bill's been passionate about communicating science, so he's a natural for this show. And when I asked him to be on it, he asked me to be on his. Our studios are right next door to each other in New York, so I just went to my next-door neighbor for a cup of science. Bill, I love it that you can be on the show today because you've been doing this for so long and have been so successful. You have generations of people who have been inspired to go into science by your shows, isn't that's that true? what they tell me. Isn't that great? It's amazing. What what, what got you into that? What what made you go? Because you were an engineer, you were a working engineer, right? Yeah. So how did you go from that into being a television superstar? Superstar, yeah, sure I am. Uh, here's what happened: two things converged. First of all, uh, I uh, well, as a kid, I really liked bicycles and airplanes. Thought that was great. I got a job at a bike shop. And there was a guy, an older guy, older than I was, a guy who worked there who was going to engineering school at Lehigh University. And then he talked about how everything is engineered. And there was a radio ad for pianos where he talked about pianos are engineered. And I thought that was cool. So I went to engineering school. And when I was there, the guy who had been my freshman roommate, Dave Lax, uh, he went into material science. I went into mechanical engineering. He came hurrying to my house, which we live very close to each other in what's called College Town, which is in Ithaca, New York. It's part of right next to the Cornell campus. Came running. He says, you got to see this guy. You got to see this. It's amazing. And it was Steve Martin. 
at the boarding house. This was in the early, early days of cable television. What well, the boarding house was what? Is a, is a uh, club, a nightclub in San Francisco. It's a it's a enter, an entertainment venue. Still in business, the boarding house. Uh, it's not really a boarding house. It's it's a club. It's a stage. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so you look, this guy's just like you. Look at this. Look at this guy. So a year later, I was out there in the workforce working at Boeing on 747s, <clears throat> mostly horizontal stabilizer, uh, leading edge flaps, some nose wheel steering. And they had Warner Brothers Records sponsored a Steve Martin lookalike contest. And you don't no, I have face blindness, but you don't look anything no, like Steve Martin today. But I was so my claim, <laughs> I had spent so much time thinking about Steve Martin's bits, his act. <laughs> yeah, so you could do it? I could sort of do it. And the other thing I'll claim is, this is a claim, Alan. <laughs> yes. And there was before there were video recordings everywhere, everybody had a phone, and the nightclub where it was held has burned down in Seattle. Uh, so there's a little evidence, but I claim that I understood Steve Martin's bit the, better than the, any of the other contestants. So I won in Seattle, but I did not advance beyond that. I went you to the won next, a Steve Martin lookalike yes. contest, and and from that you became the star no, of PBS. No, no, there's more. I was a young guy in a new town, didn't know anybody, and uh, I was a volunteer at the Pacific Science Center, huh. which is still in Seattle. It's very much still and in it's Seattle. It's a very big operation. I Poured think. liquid nitrogen all day, all weekend. <laughs> uh, smashed flowers in liquid nitrogen. Had we, you can pick up a car with this big long I beam lever thing, even if you're a little kid. And uh, we did stuff like that. And I was called a science explainer, and I would do, uh, you know, I was okay. And so. Now, did you put a touch of Steve Martin in any of that? So, I started doing—people wanted me to do Steve Martin bits at their parties at big uh, corporate events. <laughs> this is great. I never knew this. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm not as good as Steve Martin, but I would do my best. But what happens when you get on stage like that, you want to do your own material. <laughs> and I was doing, oh, just wall-to-wall -wall hilarious jokes about stainless steel and— uh, you were writing jokes about about material about science. Engineering, yeah. Yeah. That weren't especially good. But once in a while I would have a good joke. And so I would go to open mic nights and try to do comedy. About just the stuff I wrote about, about, about yeah, engineering. Showing up for your driver's license test drunk. Cause that way when the cop picks you up, you'll look more like the picture. <laughs> so and so on. Okay, that's okay, right? That's pretty good. It's all right. All right. So, uh, th this the station manager at the NBC affiliate in Seattle. It's a big, you know, it's a pretty big. It's the thirteenth market. That's bigger than fourteenth. Decided I want to have a comedy show, and so there was a comedy competition. So he hired the guy who won, nineteen eighty three, eighty four, Ross Schaefer, who's still a dear friend of mine. And uh, Ross Schaefer became the host of a show called Almost Live. So I started writing jokes for this show. I started trying Were to be Were you on camera at that point? Well, then you, everybody who writes is on camera. Everybody who's on camera writes. It was all one thing. And so uh, uh, I quit my day job, October 3rd, 1986, roughly, approximately. 
And every year I kind of take a, take a moment, got to remember this. This was the day I quit my full-time job. So eventually then, working on this comedy show, uh, Ross Schaefer in a meeting one day, we had to fill six minutes, which is, on television is a long time. Yeah. If we were to turn these microphones off for six minutes, you'd probably have people turn to another podcast. Uh, and the story varies, but it was probably Eddie Vedder, the head singer of Pearl Jam, a big band, rock and roll band from Seattle, didn't show up. He canceled his trip. So how much time did you have to get ready for those six minutes? Four or five days. So Ross Schaefer said, Bill, why don't you do that stuff you're always talking about? You could be, um, you could be, I don't know, Bill Nye, the science guy. So what did, how so, did you feel? Did you get a, into a panic? Well, did you have six minutes? You, in the theater, as you know, in the theater, yeah, yes. you take your anxiousness and you turn it into excitement. That, that's what I personally do. So another guy who was the head writer, I guess, uh, Jim Sharp, he and I talked about this, and we decided to do the household uses of liquid nitrogen. <laughs> Since we all have liquid nitrogen around. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've had mine for years. Yeah, I never so knew what to do with it. It's uh, cheaper than gasoline, everybody. And if you've ever had a wart burned off or whatever, the, yes. the uh, doctor uses it, dermatologist. So you did six minutes on liquid nitrogen? It was just wall-to-wall -wall comedy. So we had an onion. You, it, you hit it with a knife. It shatters like glass. It sounds like glass. And then the, the payoff, though, was marshmallows. You <laughs> chew marshmallows and steam comes out of your nose. And this, bear in mind, at the Science Center, I did it, you know, several times a day on Saturday and Sunday. I mean, I, this is, you got to put in the hours to get steam to come out of your nose. And that was uh, funny. <laughs> so, so then it became I was expected to do a science guy bit every couple weeks. And the, really what made it funny was just me talking with the host, you know. That's what, what my claim is what made it funny was me talking with us. So then Tipper Gore, Al Gore's wife, and I know some of you hate Al Gore. That's not the point. Uh, Tipper Gore wanted uh, children's television to be worthwhile. I remember that. And this, the Children's Television Act was— And so she thought of you. Well, after a while. So the Children's Television Act was going to require TV stations— to have three hours of educational programming every week. Uh, this law came along, and along with this, I had been working with two people that I just love, Jim McKenna and Aaron Gottlieb, who had left a show called Seattle Today to form their own production company. And they hired me to do a uh, thing for the Washington State Department of Ecology called Fabulous Wetlands <clears throat> because it was their vision with my comedic timing or what have you. We also did boating safety. Where, Another hilarious topic. Oh, gosh. And you've seen these cars because you're of a certain age. They're cars that were called, they were called Ampha cars. Oh, they could drive on land and in the water. And into the water. So the shot, the scene opens with me just driving down the boat ramp. And, <laughs> into the water. And motoring away. <laughs> but it was funny. So Jim and Aaron got the Department of Energy interested, and then they got the Department, I mean, rather, the National Science Foundation interested. So then we had enough money to do a pilot, which we did in 1992. And then in the spring of 93, Disney got interested in it to provide it to 
their affiliate or their syndicated stations so that uh, it would sell. And then after we got to 65 shows, then the then PBS took over because then you can run it five days a week. 65 uh, yeah. is a magic number. It's fun to hear that you had the background in engineering. I still do, doggone Yeah, you still do have it. That's true. But, I mean, at the time, you had a background in engineering, but you got drawn into science, in a way, science journalism through your interest in comedy. And my interest in—really, I say this all the time, in my interest or whatever you call it in the United States, my patriotism. I was really worried about—I still am worried about the United States losing out to other economies. Tell me, you and I are both in the same business as far as that's concerned. Why is it, how do you put it, why is it so important for the population to know more about science? Well, science is how we feed 7.8 billion people where we used to feed one and a half. It's through agricultural technology, transportation, food storage, refrigeration, and now, what's everybody's favorite word? Logistics. Being able to move all this food around is because of science. And stuff we take for granted, like an electronic podcast. Phones, your uh, notepad there is electronic. It's all um, our, my hot tea here is a result of our ability to understand science. It's amazing. So we want as many people as possible to be scientifically literate. And what if they're not? Doesn't science go on anyway? Well, does it? Well, I've What done... if everybody thinks that vaccines, vaccines don't work? Yeah. What if everybody thinks uh, their opinion about climate change is as good as proven science about climate change? Tell me about climate change in, in, in the way you look at it. You've talked about climate change as a threat multiplier, which it, it certainly must be. Well, so— the, I quote that from the, mili the U.S. military. Oh. Well, I mean, but it's a fine expression. In other words, when you do not have access to clean water, you move. And if, you're, uh, if your farmland is flooded with salt water for enough days or weeks or even months of a year where you can't farm there anymore, you leave. And where do you go? And whose resources are you going to exploit? And what battles or wars are you going to get involved in over water, for example? And when in California you have these very wealthy or let's say well-to-do communities that are burned down, even those people have to go somewhere, not even, those people have to go somewhere. And that when you burn stuff like that down, you're burning down uh, assets, money, resources, capital. It's very difficult to rebuild who pays for that? Let's say they were insured. You're ins that insurance company, the insurance companies involved are going to reimburse those people, and that's going to raise my insurance rates trying to turn my car. If you're in Florida, in the city of Miami, to a lesser extent right now, Miami Beach, but the city of Miami, and your wheels get flooded with salt water at every king tide, your car starts to rust, insurance company won't reimburse you for your new exhaust system or whatever. And this is, we're all going to pay for it. These are really important points, and they're very personal. <clears throat> to me, the whole thing is so personal. Yeah. It's so frustrating. It's the fossil fuel industry, coal, oil, natural gas, that have 
produced all these false studies or misleading, cherry-picked reports uh, to make people think that scientific uncertainty about this issue, plus or minus 2%, that is to say, which year is going to have the strongest El Nino effect, you know, uh, 2023 or 2022, whatever. And they, and they use that as an example of scientific uncertainty? For I'm using it as an example, but here's what they do. They say since there's scientific uncertainty about which month the next El Nino is going to show. Then they don't know what they're talking about. Then there's scientific uncertainty about the whole thing. Yeah, it's plus yeah. or minus 100%. Right. And that's wrong. Sure. And so what I, you know, I look at, the work of Greta Thunberg, for example, this very young woman who was at the United Nations and was uh, understandably finger-pointing and accusatory. When people my or your age are no longer voting, people her age are going to be voting, and they're not going to put up with this. They're going to make changes. I am optimistic about the future. So you see the scary consequences of proceeding on the current path, but you're hopeful that the new generation won't stand for it. Yeah. Yeah, well, I hope you're right. Well, so I think all the time. My grandfather was in World War I, and by all accounts, he rode a horse. He rode a horse around at night, putting chlorine, Clorox, essentially, in the canteens to keep people from getting dysentery. Oh, my God. Well, this <laughs> is the good old days. Yeah. In other words, it sucked. I thought he was putting chlorine in Clorox in the canteens of the enemy. No, he was, no. He was his you have own to, men. You have to, yeah, moderation. <laughs> and so 25 years later, when people were conducting World War II, in which his daughter was involved, my mom was a lieutenant in the Navy in World War II. My father was a prisoner of war in World War II. Nobody was riding a horse. Everything changed in 25 years. Everything changed in two decades. So we can do this. Let's change everything. Come on, people. It's going to be cool. People my age who have kids are going to have grandkids, and the grandkids are going to say, you mean you let humans drive cars? Yeah, You let people drive cars? What, were you crazy? Were there wrecks? Yes, there were wrecks every day. Wasn't it inefficient? Oh, it was so inefficient. Well, how many people were in most cars? One? You had that huge (laughs) car with one person in it? Yeah. Wow, that's weird. I saw that in a movie. I thought it wasn't real. No, that was how we used to... No, everything will change. After that imaginary trip to a brighter future, when we come back, Bill looks back to the past and tells me what he thinks was the most revolutionary invention humans have come up with. The answer might surprise you right after this. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, 
sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with Bill Nye. People have asked me, Alan, Bill, they've said, what is the greatest invention of all time? And this would be science journalists or technology journalists expecting me to say the iPhone camera. Oh, right. No, the greatest invention, instead, the most significant invention is probably the clock. The clock. Now when, tell about that. Well, when you can keep track of time accurately, you can just do all kinds of extraordinary things. You can meet at a certain place. You can get certain things done. You can watch. You can do celestial navigation. You can drive around the ocean. Without time, computers wouldn't work, without precise clocks and mm-hmm. computers. But we're talking about revolutionizing civilization. Clocks were huge. As, as we talk, I keep being more and more aware that you and I do very much similar work, but in different ways, because you seem to have, from the early days, taken on the responsibility of explaining science yourself to people. Well, and I, I just ask scientists questions, yeah, which is it, different. Coming in a different way. So the reason I did the Science Guy show for people 10 years old and younger is we had very compelling studies in the 1990s, 1991, 2, 3, that 10 years old is as old as you can be to get the so-called lifelong passion for science. You invented some can opener, right, When before you were 10. And a lazy Susan for the refrigerator. It's brilliant. Much more important invention. It needed a railing, though, from what I heard. <laughs> it needed not to throw things around the kitchen. Yeah, the, the, the slinging ketchup. Right. Yeah. So uh, you want to get kids excited about science so that we'll have more science. So what is it about the age of 10? Because it seemed to me that around the age of 11, yeah, there you they go. started asking really deep questions. Well, I used to say, I'll say it again. Say it again. People who are 10, people in fourth grade, sixth grade, are able to think, to reason like an adult. They mm-hmm. just don't have this huge depth of experience and, and fact base. They, uh, but you start to reason. And bear in mind, you guys, this thing about 10 years old wasn't my idea. These are uh, educator, professional educators, psychologists. So we had a curriculum expert, a woman who taught in the Washington State School. She was very well known, and uh, she helped shape each show. And another huge insight about the Science Guy show that made it different. You remember Mr. Wizard, Don mm-hmm. Herbert. Mm-hmm. Don Herbert was a great guy. He's a did great you guy. know him? Uh, I met him. He did a classic thing, and it was look at this cool thing. Look at this cool thing. Here's another cool thing. Look at this cool thing. Wow, this is cool. And so his show jumped around from one compelling science demonstration to another. And that was great. And so 
the educating the educate or pedagogical studies that we had access to indicated that if you came to a show like that with an interest or predisposition in science, you would get a lot out of it. What mm -hmm. educators call you'd get some lift in your understanding. But it wouldn't necessarily make you more interested in science if right. you weren't already. Is exactly. That the idea? Uh. You've crystallized their thoughts. So, <laughs> so how did your show get them more interested than so, Mr. Wizard did? Well, well, I don't know if we got them more interested. We certainly tried to. But the idea is uh, our show, all half hour, is about one thing. And we would jump from uh, visual, from scene to scene, but every scene was about today's thing. Dinosaurs and people did not live at the same time. We know dinosaurs lived because we found their fossil bones. That's it. If you get anything else out of it, potassium argon dating of ancient soils, if you get um, uh, feathers, cold-blooded, warm-blooded, if you get uh, sauropod versus, you know, vegetarian versus meat-eater, if you get all that, that's great. But we want you to get, we know they're fossil bones. We found fossil bones. We know they existed. Dinosaurs and people didn't live at the same time for a half hour. Mm. So that was, uh, turned out to be very successful. As you started, you know, there's a third generation of people watching a show we made 26 years ago. It's great. It's crazy. It's, it's so good. It, it, does it make you feel good when you think about that? Oh, it's amazing. Alan, it's amazing. And every day I just try to get it. I tried to understand the influence of the show. I mean, I was the on-camera guy. I mean, I had an important role. But um, all the people we worked with were just so skilled. You know, everybody had a sense of humor. How did you go about picking a subject and then refining it, getting it down to an entertaining half hour that you also knew was accurate? You, you and I had a moment an hour ago where we both turned up our noses at the expression dumbing it down. Ah, ah, I, 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 I hate that expression. I hate it. I hate the whole idea. It's but, just lack of respect for your audience. Exactly. So how do you how did you solve the problem of being entertaining and accurate at the same time? Well, let me emphasize. It's a TV show. It's got to be entertaining first. Then the other thing we did, the other insight which really um, came from Susan Wood, the gal our curriculum consultant was you have to have what are called learning objectives. And a learning objective is an educator expression. It means something you can test. It's a very specific phrase. A learning objective is something you can test. So at the end of the show, did the viewer get that dinosaurs and people didn't live at the same time? Would and you we, have any way of knowing? Well, they did focus, focus, group, group, huh. group, focus, 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 group, 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 group. But we largely went on having two, three, and one, a couple times, four learning objectives. But on almost all of the 100 shows, we had three learning objectives. And so every bit, everything that was going to be on the show had to support one of those learning objectives. And uh, this does this magical thing. It, it helps you figure out what you're not going to talk about, mm. what you're going to leave out. So, Leaving stuff out seems to be one of the most important parts of communicating something complex. Oh, man. It's so easy to get in the weeds with anything. Your main audience was 10 and under. Who's your main audience now? Uh, adults, people like your listeners, I hope. 
And the big thing for me is climate change, man. We just we got to get to work on that as soon as we can. And the sooner the better. And then the other two things that are really important to me. Well, let's go back to this. The two big questions. Where did we come from? What are we as living things doing here? How mm. the heck did we get here? And then are we alone? Are we the only living things in the cosmos? That would be extraordinary. Wouldn't that just be almost incredible that we could be the only living things? We, I, there's two things I want with space exploration. Don't want to get hit with an asteroid. And the other thing, I want to look for life on another world and, right. and find it while I'm still alive. Yeah, we're going to be talking soon with uh, a scientist who's focusing her all her work on that, and I'm looking forward to that. Who's that? Lisa Kaltenegger. She's at the Carl Sagan Institute. And you have a history with Carl Sagan, oh, yes. don't you? Oh, yeah. So I took one class from him. Changed my life. Tell me about that. So speaking of the Science Guy show, so I started doing these bits, these science bits, and then I had another thing on King TV on Sunday mornings called Bill's Basement. And it was about a three-minute bit. Uh, there was a kid show called Music Magic, which is run. This guy was a very good pianist, musician. And he would talk about music and scales and stuff. And I would come on and do some science demonstration, classic Mr. Wizard style demonstration. And it was going along. Anyway, I went back to my 10th college reunion and I wrote to Carl Sagan's secretary on paper, a paper letter. You may remember this technology. And the, his assistant, I said, okay, you get 10 minutes with him. So I went in there and talked to him for a minute about what he was doing. He said, you should focus on pure science. Don't do technology. Don't do engineering. You were asking him for advice on your yep. show. And, the, the and why, why did he say that? And he said, kids resonate to pure science. That was the verb he used. Mm. Resonate, like ringing a bell. And I went, that is pretty cool. So that was a huge influence on me, that one sentence, those five minutes, maybe it was three minutes. And uh, when we did the Science Guy show, that's what we did, pure science. What do you do when someone is talking with you who you don't know, who clearly doesn't get it about science? Do you try to convince them? What or do you ask them? What do you, how do you handle the situation like that? I was going to ask you. You're the charming interviewer. It, I say all the time, they're not, somebody who's in denial about climate change isn't going to change his mind in two minutes. Yeah, that's how it's I feel. It's going to take so a couple So what do you years. spend the two minutes doing? Say, I try to listen. That's the first thing. But when they say the hockey stick graph showing the world getting warmer and extraordinary is, has been debunked, my reaction to that was is – no, it hasn't. Who told you that? <laughs> no. It's not been debunked. It's been rebunked, overbunked, superbunked. Right. So the basic part of your argument is decibels. And, well, it's uh, <laughs> frustrating. To, you of know, course somebody, it is. Sure it is. When they start That's with the that thing. premise. Where, uh, the question, where did, you, where did you hear that or where did you read that, comes to my lips mm. a lot because they, they got it from somewhere. You're right. And this is the downside of anonymous social media. It really is. Uh, How do you do, do you do you have a technique for figuring out what's baloney on the internet and what isn't? 
Funny should you do you know that Carl Sagan used to use the word baloney? This baloney oh, detector. Oh no, I didn't know that. Well, I just say all the time the most important skill you can give anybody of any age is so-called critical thinking. That's a, mm. the current phrase. Is it reasonable? Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be called logic or some ability to reason or something, but critical thinking, it's a fine phrase. Is it reasonable that the moon of Saturn Titan has an atmosphere so thick and so little gravity that you could fly. If you were in a spacesuit, you could flap your arms and fly. Yeah, could be. Uh, That's reasonable. Could be. Is it reasonable that somebody running for U.S. president had a child slavery ring in a pizza parlor (laughs) near the White House? No, that's not. No, that's not reasonable. No. So we all need to evaluate, learn to evaluate these claims. You know, in skepticism, by that I mean formal skepticism, uh, claims are the whole thing. What, what's the yeah, evaluating was, was claim? Sagan, who I think first said extraordinary claims need extraordinary evidence. Yeah. And if he didn't say it, he said it with that fabulous – if he wasn't the first to say it, he was the first to say it with that fabulous voice. Yeah, he, he did have a great voice. But there is so much in the universe that we can't understand, including some of our most advanced ways of understanding that don't always conform to ordinary logic like quantum mechanics. Oh, man. I mean, if you said what's reasonable and we're not going to accept it if it's not reasonable, you'd have to throw out a lot of quantum mechanics. Well, then until you – Spend time with it, and you can make these extraordinary predictions yeah, and have sort of thinking mobile phones with a hundred thousand transistors in them that enable right. it. It works. There's no question that it yeah, works. Yeah. But is it is it everyday logical? Uh, not no, so much. Not so much. But with that said, there are people who are very troubled by the idea that we can't know so much of the universe. Really that troubled? Right, it seems like a nice opportunity. Well, that's the other, the flip side of the same coin. And this is where, to me, you know, I spent time with creationists, people that just don't want to know the truth of nature. They you just, spend a lot of time with them. What do you do when, you, when you're with them? Uh, well, I debated this guy in Kentucky. And oh, how would you do there? Well, I mean, if, from a, the uh, head of the debating club, the, the, the uh, faculty advisor to the debating club, I won. The debate <laughs> just to the debater. But his his um, followers showed up with several million dollars. Some fundamentalists in Kentucky showed up with several million dollars and made his ministry uh, got quite wealthy for a while. But his twenty year prospects, I think, are quite dim. I think he's going to go out of business or that that organization. So there have been a lot of debates lately. On that subject, on on the question of the the acceptance of science, on religion, on atheism versus belief in God, do you think a debate is helpful with that? Sure. Does it help bring people together or does it divide people? I think it depends, right? Uh, So what what would be the most useful outcome? The community. People get together and talk. So my experience has been— uh, with creationists or uh, fundamentalists, that once they're exposed to skeptical thought or the process of science or the method of science, they abandon their 
rigid beliefs. It's okay with me if they have their beliefs as long as they don't stand in the way of science. Well, but okay, so do you get vac- do your kids get vaccinated or not? If you say I have religious freedom or personal freedom, libertarian style freedom, and I'm not going to get my kids vaccinated, that affects you and me because right. the kid gets infected, that germ mutates in the kid, and then that germ infects you and me. Right. Now, in the case of education, it also affects you and me if your kid, if a kid is brought up scientifically illiterate, mm-hmm. doesn't understand the process of geology, the age of the earth, and so on. That affects you and me because that kid, that person, when he or she grows up, is not going to be as productive in our society. He's not going to have much more difficult time in any scientific pursuit or any medical interaction or respecting the facts of actuarial data or what have you. When you start rejecting science writ large based on some religious thing and your uncomfort or discomfort with knowing the age of the universe, that's trouble for all of us. That's my argument. I agree. I guess I lean toward the idea, which I think your history embodies as well, which is I want to make the interest in the way nature works be so attractive, so interesting and entertaining that I don't have to tell people, you're going to be punished if you don't believe this because that's like conversion by concussion. I want them to go to it because they love it. It, I love it. Uh, you got the wrong guy. The, in, the universe is infinitely fascinating to me, I have to say. And that we can understand it at all, Al. I know it. I know. That we can understand our place in the cosmos at all is amazing. We, as a species, seem to be extraordinary, like just out of the ordinary. Uh, by us, we're extraordinary. By an extraordinary being. Let's say that there's intelligent life somewhere in the universe, and they've persisted way longer than we have. Scientists have told me that the average age of a species is about two million years, and we're only around for a few hundred thousand years. So stay tuned. Yes, stay (laughs) tuned. If we could make it to several million years, how smart can we get? What are we going to be able to do? Well, that's the that's the uh, basis of so many uh, time travel premises, uh, time travel science fiction stories. The guy or gal comes back, and she's so much smarter than the uh, yeah, you know, right, 20th yeah. century, 21st century people. She just, what's wrong with you? Somebody's speaking to me. <clears throat> oh, we're, we're, I, this is so much fun. I'm going over the time. Oh, that's well, it's fine if you're willing to listen. No, I'm, I'm having no. So we, I got to wrap it up. We end our show a little bit like yours, where we ask seven quick questions for seven quick answers. Uh, Seven quick questions, seven quick answers. Here we go. Okay. What do you wish you really understood? Uh, Dark matter and dark energy. You only wish you understood 90%, 95% of the universe. (laughs) Yeah. What is going on? The universe is accelerating its expansion, and there's got to be a reason for it. How do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? I do my best to listen first, but it's hard. And then you scream. Well, (laughs) be forceful. (laughs) What's the strangest question anyone's ever asked you? Yes. Can I see your driver's license so you can prove you're Bill Nye? Are you kidding? No. (laughs) 
No, this, we're not living. This is not a, a totalitarian state where you get to ask for my papers. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Oh, man, that's a great... You're talking about me? Yeah, you're talking you, about me. You, you, how, do you, how do you do it? <laughs> Say, our time's up, Bill. We got to go. Uh, no, I'm not, I mean, how, I'm talking about life. you in the terms of how do you do it? Uh, it's it's difficult. I was, you know, call this, go to my website. I'll read your argument, or whatever it is. Oh, that's interesting. Get in touch with my website. Yeah. That's great. How do you like to start up a real conversation with somebody at a dinner party next to you who you never met before? Uh, what do you? Uh, who invited you? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. I never heard that. What gives you confidence? Uh, well, if, if I've thought about things a lot, I'm confident in that thing, uh, in that subject. Also, I, I guess you spent time on stage and you turn your nervousness into excitement, which becomes, I guess, confidence. I can do this. I can handle this. Good. Last question. What book changed your life? Oh, well, just one? Well, pick the one that most changed your life. It might be Cosmos by Carl Sagan. I'm thinking out loud, but I had taken his course before that book came out, and his the book was kind of his course. Oh, 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 Elements of Style. By Strunk and White. Ah, yeah, that's, that's no, that's it for sure. Isn't that interesting? I, if omit needless words, omit needless words, omit needless words. If only, if only I could omit needless words, Alan, I could be somebody. That gets back to what we said. What you leave out can be the most important decision. Absolutely. Well, I wouldn't have left anything out of our talk. I really enjoyed talking with you, Bill. Thank you, Alan. It's just been a delight. Thanks so much for coming in. It's great. This has been clear and vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsors of this episode. All the income from the ads you hear go to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Just by listening to this podcast, you're contributing to the better communication of science. So thank you. Bill Nye and I both have a passion for making science accessible and entertaining, or as I like to say, clear and vivid. For details about all of Bill's many projects, including his own podcast called Science Rules, please visit his website at BillNye.com. And check there for his best-selling books, too. You can also follow him on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Bill Nye. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Chedd, with help from our executive producer, Sarah Chase, and our associate producer, Gene Chimay. Our sound engineer is Dan DeZula, our tech guru is Allison Costin, and our publicist is Sarah Hill. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid, and I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. We've started something new on Clear and Vivid. It's called Patreon. 
and it allows you to directly support us and engage with us in a much closer way. If you visit patreon.com slash clear and vivid, here's what you'll find. For as little as $2 a month, listeners of Clear and Vivid can get exclusive behind-the-scenes access. You can find video, extra content, bonus episodes, and all sorts of fun stuff, including behind-the-scenes pictures. And for those of you who have seven questions of your own for Mr. Alan Alda, you might find some answers there, too. Now, you don't have to subscribe for as little as $2 a month to keep listening to the show. You can continue to listen to the show and support us by hearing the ads. But you can get all this extra material if you do decide to become a subscriber. And most importantly, your patronage directly funds our work at the Alda Center for Communicating Science. Give Patreon a try. That's patreon.com slash clearandvivid. C-L-E-A-R-A-N-D-V-I-V-I-D. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Cleo Stiller about a change that's sweeping across our culture, modern manhood, and the Me Too movement. I asked men, what do you think of the Me Too movement? The theme that kept coming up a lot was, in the beginning, I was in favor for it, you know, with the Harvey Weinstein and the Bill Cosby stories. Of course, those men should not be in power, but then it got out of control. Now it's gone too far. I'm glad, you know, women had their time to say their truth, but enough of that, let's move forward. You know, if there's something I got to do, just tell me what to do and let's move on. Cleo Stiller, next time on Clear and Vivid. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.